I think that's enough for announcements. Let's go ahead and go into uh, Psalm 21. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm 21, I'd appreciate that. We, uh, we, we covered Psalm 20 last week, and uh, really, really a powerful psalm, um, looking at David's prayer, or actually the congregation's prayer over David, and then David's prayer uh, before he goes into battle, before he goes into this, this time of, of testing. And, um, and we, we talked about how, how many commentators even uh, reveal that this, this looks like it's pointing towards the Messiah as well. And we, we looked at the, the side-by-side. We looked at, of course, David's prayer on, on his own, and then we looked at at the Messiah's prayer, Christ's prayer, in his day of trouble is what we talked about. And we saw how, how Christ relied on, how, how he relied powerfully on the Holy Spirit and on, on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide him and strengthen him and to, um, to give him endurance for the task at hand. And ultimately, the prayer of both, both men, right, David, and, and then the greater man, the Messiah, Jesus, was not my will, your will be done. I, I want your covenantial love, your covenantial will to unfold. And, uh, and that's one of the greatest prayers that we can have. Uh, we'll look more into that today as we look at this prayer being answered. So today we're looking at uh, the rejoicing of answered prayer, rejoicing in salvation, that David was victorious in this battle, and he comes back saying, rejoicing, praising God for how, how his salvation was near and how, how he rescued uh, Israel and continued with his steadfast, faithful, covenantial love. So really an amazing thing. And the songs we sing today are all about praising God for his goodness and who he is. And, and we ought to see that in our lives. So today as we look at this, I want us to see um, that, that the, there was prayer offered to God that, that he would go before them, that he would, he, his will would be done. And then today we see this, this, this praise, right? So our prayer was turned to praise because God responded. And, and we ought to, as followers of Christ, be looking at and looking at the ways that God is answering our prayers, that God is continuing to show up in our lives and praise Him for that. And, and it's not one of those things, and we'll get there in a minute, it's not one of those things, though, that we ought to be praying whatever we want whenever we want it and then be kind of surprised when God doesn't answer. We want our heart to be aligned with the Spirit and the will of God. We want our desires to be His desires. That is what our endeavor should be. When David prays, it's not that God just give me the desires of my heart. He is a man first after God's own heart. And then he prays. And we see the the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that God, I I want your will to be done, not mine. I want to submit and surrender and humble myself before your will. So it's so important to to put us in a posture of prayer, of submissive prayer, uh, and not just selfish prayer right? But that our heart would be humbled and aligned with him, and then, and then we would pray. And as we pray, we would see God answer those prayers. And as God's covenantial love answers those prayers, what an amazing way to praise God, that God is doing something in and amongst us for his eternal glory. And we see that played out. What we also see, though, is this rescue, this salvation. And, and today, you know, in, in this day and age, we tend to think, okay, I, I got saved when I was four, or I got saved when I was eight, or I got saved when I was 21. You know, I, I trusted Christ, and he, he saved me, and I know I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. It's going to be great. And that is, that's a, a wonderful thing. God has redeemed us from sin and death through Christ and through faith in Christ. We can be forgiven and have eternal life in him. But that also is something we should rejoice about every single day, amen? That we should be rejoicing about our eternal salvation today and tomorrow, and every moment, that, that it should inform and impact every moment of our life. So when Christ came to give us abundant life, the abundant life was the joy-filled, hope-filled, anchor-for-our-soul type life that we need right now. That's what Christ wants to give us. That's what Christ has done through his death and resurrection. The power and victory he's had over sin and death has given us that life that we need. 
that hope that we need because of eternal life. And it, it is an eternal perspective. It's not about getting our way now. It's about being filled now because we're going to be in eternity with him. And that's, that's the blessing. That's the promise. So when, in David's day, as he, as he rejoices today, we see him rejoice in, in salvation. We're, we're going to see all the inklings there of, of minute-by-minute life, seasonal kind of things going on. A battle happened. And what did God do? But David, using verb, or, or verbiage, words that are very, very indicative of our own salvation, of what God is doing in us spiritually. So we'll see that today as well. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get started in, in Psalm 21, verses 1 through 7. We're only going halfway through today, and tomorrow, we'll, or next week, we'll finish it up. Not tomorrow. I'll give you a break tomorrow, all right? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. As we come together and gather, Lord, we, we come recognizing that we are sinful and separated from you because of that sin. But we also acknowledge and thank you for the redemption found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one who took our place, the place we deserve, that he was the perfect lamb sacrifice that bled, died, was buried, and then rose from death, conquering it once and for all. We trust him. And God, we trust in no way ourselves or our own ability. God, help us to humble our own attitude, humble our own heart, to see that it was never about what we could accomplish on our own. It was always what Jesus has finished for us. And help our faith increase. God, our selfishness and our pride decrease. God, today as we look at your word, may you open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it. We ask that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. We really want that. God, convict us of sin. Show us error in our ways. God, to move us to a place of obedience, of faithfulness, of repentance. Conform us into the image of the Son that we might be about his business, about his kingdom. And we might see others come to know him as Savior. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 21, we'll read verses 1 through 7. It is a congregational prayer, like, much like the one we saw uh, last week in, in Psalm 20. The, the congregation is speaking here, uh, again, re- rejoicing uh, over David, their king, and the salvation of God. <clears throat> For the choir director, a psalm of David. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire and have not denied the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your victory. You confer majesty and splendor on him. You give him blessing forever and you cheer him with joy in your presence. For the king relies on the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. All right, we'll stop there and we'll, uh, we'll break that apart. Uh, this is again rejoicing in salvation. Uh, and this is David, David and, the, and the congregation singing praise to God over David and the victory and the salvation that, that God has brought. So today, we're not going to look really in depth about how, how this looks battle-wise. We'll, we'll make a few comments of that. But I really want us to think about how this informs us today and every day in our lives to rejoice and give praise to God for the salvation that he's granted. And as David goes through, as, as the psalm goes through, we'll see uh, those, those pictures. Number one is this. We rejoice in salvation because our heart is satisfied. 
We rejoice in salvation because our heart is satisfied. If you look at verses 1 through 2a, it says, The Lord, or Lord, the King finds joy in your strength. Right? It's your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire. Now again, this is a man, David, after God's own heart. A, God, a man who wanted to see God's, God's uh, kingdom come and, and God's covenantial love uh, endure. This is, this is who David was. And, and David would continually, uh, you see him and find him continually humbling himself before God, desiring that, that his will, David's will, would actually be what God wants. That his will would be broken if it, if it needed to be. But that, that's when he went to God. And, and his heart's satisfaction came when God responded the way God wanted to respond. The same is true for you and I. We, we should find joy and rely in the strength of God. That God accomplishes it, we do not. The salvation is not accomplished by our own means, by our own efforts. We still are called to be faithful. We are still called to be persistent and endure. And, 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 but God is the one who shows up and does the work. It's His strength, and it's actually His victory. When David is praising God, it, the praise is all about God's covenantial love and the victory of that covenantial love. You've given him his heart's desire. He rejoices because his heart is satisfied. It's amazing David's heart is satisfied because God gets the victory. Are ours satisfied that way? Are our hearts satisfied when God gets the victory? Hopefully. Hopefully. Oftentimes, though, we can see it in our prayer. What do our prayers reveal? Are we praying for something selfishly? Out of ego or pride or spite or bitterness? Or are we praying something in a, in a real, real humble way that says, God, I really want you to have your way. Whatever it would be, I trust you. And as God's covenantial love is, is victorious, our heart is then satisfied. You think about our, our own salvation, right? In our hearts are far from God. Before, before faith in Christ, our hearts are far from God. They are enemies of God. But through faith in Christ, we're made righteous. We're reconciled back to God. And, and really, our hearts then become satisfied. Jesus can provide through the cross and through redemption and through this idea of reconciling us to himself. Now, this, this recon, I use big church words because we're in a church. But reconciliation, it, it means to fix or resolve you understand that we had an unresolved and broken relationship with God because of our sin? But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he fixed and resolved that problem because he became the sacrifice in our place. And that through faith in Christ, that relationship with God is now fixed and resolved. And we'll, we'll see more of that in a minute. But that, that should bring joy to our heart. That should bring joy to our heart, that our heart would be satisfied, not because we earned it, not because we achieved it, not because, yay, look at us, look how good we are, but because God accomplished it for us. He really is the only answer for our heart. He's the only thing can, that can really fill, fill it up. John uh, 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one, comes, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. You see, there's this, this deep hunger and this deep thirst that each of us have, a yearning inside that only can be satisfied by faith in Christ. And when Christ satisfies that, when our heart is finally satisfied, when our hunger and thirst is finally satisfied, He is worth praising. Amen? He's worth praising. Because He is, he is like we saw earlier, He is and His word is sweeter than the sweetest and better than the best of all earthly 
things. Number two, we rejoice in salvation because of answered prayer. We rejoice in salvation because of answered prayer. He's, he's heard our prayer. He's heard our cry. Look at Psalm 21 again, 21.2, and look at uh, the first part of that verse we just saw. You've given him his heart's desire, and the next part says, you have not denied the request of his lips, Selah. Again, another pondering verse, a verse to think about and let it sink in and soak in. That's what we're looking at here. So what, what are we letting soak in? What we're letting soak in, that you have given him his heart's desire. You've given a man whose heart longs for you, as a man after your own heart, who prays, God, I want to humbly submit my will to yours. You've given him his heart's desire, which is God's will. His desire is for God's will. You do not re- deny the request of his lips. David prayed, God, I want your covenantial love to go forward. When he prayed, even when he prayed, God, spare me, don't let your, the king, the, the, the anointed one, die. He understood that David was chosen. He was chosen to perpetuate the line forward, that the Messiah would come out of that line. What he was praying was not save my life. He was saying, Lord, continue to work in line and view of your covenant love. God answers prayer. God hears us when we call to him. I think that's a most amazing thing. If you think, think of your own faith, your own, your own time uh, finding out who you were and, who, and Christ convicting you of your own sin. Think of that time when you finally humbled your heart and turned to Him and cried out to God, God, save me. God, rescue me. God, forgive me. I am nothing. I need you. And then He heard you. And that peace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit forgave you, wiping your sin away through faith in Christ. And He gave you new life. Think about how that felt to have that prayer answered. See, God hears us when we call. And we rejoice in His salvation because He's heard our cry for mercy. He's heard our cry for help. Uh, Lamentations, another verse. It's interesting. I think I've used this, uh, not this passage, but the book of Lamentations a couple times in the last couple weeks. And uh, I don't think I've used much of it before that. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 55 through 57. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit, where we typically call out from, right? We, We get to that depth of the pit and we cry out. From the depths of the pit, you heard my plea. Do not ignore my cry for relief. You came near whenever I called you. You said, do not be afraid. It's an amazing thing that when we we cry out to God from the pit, and listen, that pit is from a pit of repentance and humility. That's not just a pit of, uh, I'm in the middle of my sin and this is horrible. Uh, God, please save me so I don't have to suffer the consequences. That is a place of utter despair, of your heart longing for something different, that you want nothing more of yourself and nothing more of where you were, and all you want is Him. And you cry out from that pit, and He hears you, and He responds with His relief. And He says, you don't have to be afraid. And that's what brings peace to our heart, right? That that satisfies our heart. He protects our heart. He guards our heart. That's why we started praising at the beginning. Because God satisfies our heart and because He answers our prayer. We rejoice in salvation because He hears us when we cry to Him. Number three, we rejoice in salvation because God's goodness goes before us. Because God's goodness goes before us. Psalm 21, 3. They sing about the King. For you meet Him with rich blessings. 
You place a crown of pure gold on his head. Now there's a lot of analogy here to, not even analogy, a lot of symbolism here to, to earlier times and a lot of conquests that we see in, in Samuel and Chronicles where, where David would, would go and defeat a king and God, God would literally, yeah, let him take the crown of pure gold from that king and it would be David's now. We see that. We see this conquering king who's going out in the name of God taking care of business. But, but there's so much more here than that. God's goodness went before him. He says, you meet him with rich blessing. Literally, you, you meet or go walk before you. You meet him with that. You lead him with that, with goodness. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. Listen, we, in, this, in this time, like we talk about David, we talk about our own life and salvation. We, we only know how deeply we have been saved and how good God is because of how bad we are. When we understand how bad we are, we can see how good God is. Amen. Right? Justice and the judgment of God has to be in view. And listen, when you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Psalms, you look at these battles with David, you look at the, the prophets, there is judgment of God to be seen. God is doing something, and it's always in line with his covenant love, but he is a just and judging God. He will take care of business. And, and David knows that. And you and I should understand that and know that. That our sin and the payment for our sin has to be settled. And if we didn't understand that there was judgment and justice of God, we wouldn't understand how good God really is. And, and that's true of many in the world. They, oh God, okay, yeah, he's, he's cool. He looks like he, he made something pretty. But for us to understand that we each stand condemned because of our sin, that we deserve the death that Jesus died. That's, that's the judgment of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ for us. He was poured on Christ for you and for me. That's the justice and judgment of God, but it's also the love of God. And, and the deeper and more clearly we can see the judgment and justice of God, the deeper the love of God becomes. Romans tells us this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It was talking about judgment, and it goes on. Do you, do you despise the riches of His kindness? His restraint, why would, why would we throw restraint in there? We don't despise God's kindness at all, but do you despise his restraint? Understanding restraint means he's restraining from judging. He's restraining from condemning. He's re restraining from carrying out the punishment, the consequences of our sin on us. Do we despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and his patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. You see, God's kindness, God's restraint in not carrying out judgment on us right now like we deserve. Like, like is, am I going to get struck by lightning now or in a minute because I totally deserve that? But God's restraining and saying, listen, I want to restrain judgment because I'm patient and I want you to understand how deep my love for you goes. It's my kindness that goes before you. You understand that God's goodness goes before us? And when we think about salvation and when we rejoice in salvation, we ought to rejoice like David is being rejoiced over here. We ought to rejoice that God's goodness has gone before us. That we have seen in full view the depth of our sin and we have seen in full view the depth of the payment provided through Jesus Christ. And we, we see how loving God is, how merciful God is, how good He is to us. And that goodness and that kindness that went before us has led us to repentance and faith in Christ. 
Then we see it in Psalm 23. So we see that God's goodness goes before us. And what's amazing that as we have faith in Christ, Psalm 23 says, and only His goodness and faithful love will follow us, right? This is the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 6 says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That's amazing. Not only does God's love and His goodness go before us by His restraint and by by showing us clearly the depth of our sin and judgment that's there, but He says, my goodness is there, my mercy is there, and we trust in that mercy, we we exhibit faith in that mercy, and it, it, it fulfills and satisfies the desire of our heart. And then as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil, for He is with us. And we know that He's there to discipline and encourage and guide, and that all those days of my life, only goodness and faithful love will follow me. His goodness and faithful love will follow us. You know, this week I've, I've talked to several people in different times that, that we talk about hard conversations. We talk about difficult conversations maybe with friends. And I, that verse, the wounds of a friend can be trusted, keeps coming to mind. That's part of God's faithful love as it pursues us. He's not there to wound us, but he's there to convict us. He's there to show us where we are in error, to teach us, to discipline us to love us towards being conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We ought to be praising God and and rejoicing in salvation because God's goodness goes before us and it comes behind us. I do want to make a mention a little bit about the crown of gold placed on His head. Now, I, I said it's actually a crown of gold placed on His head. But for you and I, there is an inheritance as followers of Christ, there is an inheritance. And 1 Corinthians mentions this a bit, and, and so does other parts of Scripture. But I just want to understand what, what this looks like. If we are following God's goodness because it goes before us, and His, good, His goodness and mercy follows us and pursues us, we're kind of like sandwiched between it, right? It's a goodness, God, God of goodness sandwich that we're in. 1 Corinthians, then we go to in, in verse, chapter 9, verses 24 to 25. Don't you know that all runners in a stadium race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. So with God's goodness going before us and God's goodness and mercy following us, we had to run in such a way for the prize. And that really, that prize is Jesus and letting people know about Jesus. Now, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, but they do it to receive a perishable crown. So when we compete, the Olympics, right? It's, here's a medal. There you go. Go hang it on your wall. Oh, good job of the baseball tournament. Here's a trophy. Way to go. And, and they, they compete for this trophy, this thing. What does Paul exhort us in? What what crown should we be looking for? He says, we compete, we do it for an imperishable crown. They do it for a perishable crown, one that's going to fade and be gone, be stripped away eventually. I, I can't take it to heaven with me. We do it for the reward that Christ will give us for being faithful. And, and I know that's kind of a tricky place where you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about reward. I don't do what I do for reward. Good. But he says run in such a way that you're trying to win the prize. And you're running not on your own. You're running with his goodness and mercy in front of you and his goodness and mercy behind you. Run and win the prize. The prize is him. The prize is bringing others to faith in Christ and letting them know about the depth and forgiveness of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Well, that goes to number four. We rejoice in salvation because he's given us life. Number four is because he's given us life. Going on in Psalm 21, we look at verse four. 
He asked you for life and you gave it to Him. Length of days forever and ever. Now, yeah, He preserved David's life. David did not die. And we saw last week in, 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 when Abishai had killed the Philistine, they said, no more, we, you can't go to battle anymore because we cannot extinguish the lamp of Israel. Like They were afraid that if he died, this, it, what would happen? And again, this is David, King David, who's been appointed and will be of the house and line of, or of, of the lineage of Jesus, right? Jesus was of the house and line of David. So there's two things going on here, I think. There's one saying, Preserve his life, extend his life, continue to let this covenantal love go forward and move forward. We, we love our king, we want our king. The other is acknowledging that in a covenant nature and love of God, God's enduring faithfulness will do whatever it takes to continue the line. He'll do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary. He'll use us to whatever means he wants and preserve our lives in that way. Extend basically his days and extend, therefore, the covenant of God. I want to look at First uh, John, 1 John uh, chapter five, verses eleven through thirteen as well, because this life really—if we talk about it for us, for you and I—we are rejoicing in salvation because He's given us life. We're breathing today. We showed up. We're here. We're participating together. Thank you, God, for giving us another day. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. We're thankful to be alive, but as we are alive, we will repent, and we will obey, and we will be faithful, and we will do whatever God calls us to do. But we ought to thank Him for the life He's given us, and that life is not just this life. That life is, more importantly, eternal life. And I mentioned earlier, that's, that's why we can be so, so excited. That's how we can be so, so uh, rejoicing and praising in God's salvation, because we have been taken care of eternally through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Not just get it done today and make sure our life is the best life now, but to move forward beyond that and say, I, I have a life that's, this is just the warm-up. This is just, this is just the, the practice for what's to come. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, it says this, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, so for you and I, there is, this, there is this place to go when we celebrate and rejoice in salvation. We are rejoicing the eternal life that Christ has given us, the eternal life that Christ has accomplished. We haven't accomplished that on our own. It's nothing that we can do on our own. And now listen, as we come and celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, we have to understand that. We have to acknowledge that. We, we do it in an unworthy fashion if we come saying, well, yeah, I'm, I was good this week. I have squared away. I've, I've got my ducks in a row. That is not the way to take the Lord's Supper. You are bringing judgment upon yourself. We ought to, we ought to come humbly, repentant to the Lord's table, saying, God, I, I again realize this was nothing that I have done. This is everything that you have done. There's nothing in me that, that, that will accomplish this ever. And I want to get rid of whatever I thought was going to. Any pride or ego is going to get out. Any sin is going to be gone. God, I want to come to you in purity and in faith, trusting over and over that your blood, your body was enough. And I will celebrate that and you will celebrate that. Amen? It's not about what we have done. It's about everything 
that he has done. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. The one who has the Son has life. And listen, Christians, church, you and I ought to celebrate that every moment. And, and like I said at the beginning, that eternal life that we have, we have had secured by Christ should inform our temporal, mortal life now. Every aspect of our, our life right now should be informed because of our eternal life. We should have this eternal perspective, saying it, it, there's something more important. Uh, years ago, and I've shared this probably here before too, uh, years ago I had a missional small group with, uh, with our teenagers, and, and I used to tell them, I want you to think about this, I want you to think about a line. If you drew a line all the way around the, the sanctuary here, there's a line on the wall, and I wouldn't do that because you guys would get upset, but I drew a line, okay, all around, around the room. And then I take a little marker and I, I mark a little dot right over there, right, a little dot. There it is. You can't even hardly see it. Unless you get real close, you couldn't see it. And this is exaggerated anyway. But that that dot represents this life. However many years it is, it represents this life. And that line represents eternity. Normally, the normal person gets so caught up in that dot, they could care less about the line. For you and I, we have come to that place of humility in Christ knowing that that dot is not all it's chalked up to be. What really is important is viewing, viewing life, this life, through the eternal perspective of that line, knowing that we have a lot more time to spend somewhere doing something. And, and the faith we express in Christ during that dot is what counts for the rest of the line. And then we spend the rest of that dot preparing for the line, living like, like we are excited about the line, living like, like we know eternity is to come with Jesus and that line is fulfilled. So that makes all the difference in the dot in this life. It's so important for us to get that eternal perspective. Christ has given us life, so we rejoice in salvation because we have eternal life. Number five, we see him continuing in this, this praise, this praise or rejoicing over salvation because our relationship with God has been restored. Our relationship with God has been restored. Remember I talked earlier that sin has broken that relationship. The Bible says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. God is perfect. God is holy. God is just. He can't be around that. Uh, we, the, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of sin. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and all of us are a part of that. And we need the solution. The solution was what Christ offered on the cross. He died in our place, the place we should have died. He died the death we should have died. And then he rose from death, conquering that death for you and I, if we would believe. And, and that's, that's an amazing promise that we have in him. But when he did that, what he offered is, listen, I am going to be the sacrifice, the payment, that then fixes and resolves and restores the relationship between you and God, and between me and God. That's what Jesus has accomplished reconciliation. What once was broken was now fixed and made whole through Christ's sacrifice. So look at verse uh, 5 and 6. We're back in Psalm 21. How, how His glory is great through your victory. Talking, this is talking about the, the king, David. His, his glory is great through God, your victory. Uh, you confer majesty and, and splendor on him, on David. You give him blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence. Now, there's a couple things to think about here. First of all, that last line, you cheer him with joy in your presence. This is that kind of joy because we can stand now in God's presence again. 
We can have a fixed and right relationship with God. That's the joy he's talking about. I can stand in God's presence, not condemned anymore, but, but forgiven because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And, and the first part, it's interesting. If you, if you turn with me just briefly, it's not in your notes, uh, but turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is a story uh, of the prodigal son. And I want to look at a couple of, of statements here. Uh, verse 17. So here, here's, the, here's the story. The prodigal son, we have, we have a son who comes to the father and says, I, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Give me my money. I wish you were dead. I'm leaving. Just a punk, right? His brother's a punk too, but we don't know that till later. But he leaves. He's, he leaves and he goes and squanders his, his inheritance on, on bad things. And then he, he finds himself in despair. He finds himself in the pit. We read in Lamentations earlier this crying from the pit, right? He's in, he's in the pig's area in the mud and muck trying to, trying to get some of the carob pods that are being fed. Right? He's just longing for that. And then there's this moment of time. Verse 17 says, When he came to his senses... Listen, th- this is so important. That is the only thing he has done. He comes to his senses. So for you and I, as the body of Christ... We have all come to that place in our own lives where we came to our senses. We understood who we were, sin and all, and, and how that separated us from Christ, and how we, through, only through faith in Christ, could come and have a right relationship, a restored relationship. So let's look at that restored relationship. He comes to his senses, and, and his heart and his whole body, his whole movement, turns from himself and turns towards his father. And he's like, I, w- I would just rather be a servant in my father's household. I don't even care if I'm a son or not anymore. I would just... I. Man, these servants are getting better than what I'm getting. I just wish for that. So he turns. That's that repentance, that repentant heart. He's empty. He cries out. He comes to his senses, and he turns and goes towards the father. And then he gets to his father, and and the father is watching, and the father runs out to him and gives him a big hug. It says uh, down down in verse, uh, verse 20, he ran and threw his arms around his neck. He kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Such an important phrase to understand for you and I. We are, no long, we are not worthy to be called sons and daughters of God. But when we come to our senses, we run to him anyway. But the father told the servants, look what the father does here. We, we see this majesty and splendor put upon David. Why? What does this mean? The father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began began to celebrate. An amazing celebration, an amazing story of redemption. And what we see is this relationship being restored. And that as that relationship is restored, God makes us co-heirs with Christ. He puts the robe on us of his righteousness. He, he puts a ring of responsibility on our, fa- on our finger. And, and we, we have the sandals to go with it too. And, and just like this father brings this son back into the fold, this son basically was never really a son. And now he is and has full sonship granted to him. It's like David here. David, the victory and splendor that was put on him was because God elevated him. Because, God, because of David's faith, God responded. And he does the same in our salvation. When you and I turn from our own sin, we come to our senses. We come to the place that says, I can't do anything on my own. I would rather just be a servant in the house of the Lord than to be here. He meets us. He runs out and meets us and wraps his arms around us. 
and offers us the forgiveness through faith that He has done all the work, that He brings His robe out and puts it on us, His ring, His sandals. He celebrates and throws a party because we were dead, but now we're alive because of what He accomplished. And that's the only way we can celebrate the Lord's table, coming to our senses that it's not ever about what we can do, but always only been what He has done. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? See, there's rejoicing over salvation. Our relationship with God has been fixed and resolved through, through what Christ has offered on the cross and through our faith in Him. Finally, we see all of that, and it comes to this last ver- verse that we'll look at today, verse 7. We rejoice in salvation because we have unshakable assurance. Number six, because we have unshakable assurance. Psalm 21.7 says, For the king relies on the Lord. So all of this is great, all the splendor on the king, all the glory of the king, but this is not about the king, is it? The king relies on the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. Again, all glory for salvation goes back to the king who accomplished it. Amen? And through that king who accomplished it, we are unshaken. Because he has finished it. He has done everything necessary for you and I to have eternal life. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, talking about this idea of going back into the law or or the slavery of of the law versus, versus not. It says this, You did not receive a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. So Jesus is not saying, hey, now you need to be afraid. He's like, I, no, I accomplished this. Fear can be gone now. We were living in fear. We didn't know how, how dreadful it was before we were saved to wonder, am I right with God? Has He forgiven me? Am I going to heaven? Those are answers that we should have confidently answered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, instead, you received the spirit of adoption. Just like the prodigal running back to the father, he is welcomed in as a son. You and I are welcomed in as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ, through the power of the Spirit. Uh, You have received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We're family now. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, there is an assurance in our salvation, because Jesus did everything necessary. And when He seals us with His Spirit, He seals us with His Spirit. We can test that, but He'll confirm that in our heart. He'll, He'll make us aware of that. The Spirit Himself will testify with ours that we are children of God. And, and so today, as you, you think about this rejoicing in salvation, if your smiler right here gets bigger and bigger as we go because of what God has accomplished and because we get to participate in the Lord's Supper and remember His death and His resurrection, the blood shed for us, as your, as your smiler goes up higher, that's that confirmation, knowing, man, look how amazing God has been. Look at His goodness that's gone before me. Look at the goodness that's coming after me. And I cannot and will not help but to rejoice in the God of our salvation. He is a solid rock. He is a sure foundation. He is the anchor for our soul. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask the, uh, 
the guys that are going to be serving the Lord's Supper, if they'd come up and just sit here for a minute on the front pew, and then the worship team can come up. They're going to play some music. We're about to partake in the Lord's Supper together, so if you're tuning in at home, hopefully you've, you've gathered your elements and uh, are ready to do that, and uh, we'll pray, and I'll give you some instruction about that uh, as well. I'll give instruction for everybody. Father, thank you so much for your great salvation. God, as we look to you today, as we look to what you've accomplished, God, may, may you turn our, our, our focus away from any pride in our own lives. God, anything in our own lives that would say we can accomplish it, that we can do it on our own, look how great we are. God, and we would turn to a humility instead and come to, the, come to our senses, to a place of acknowledgement, knowing that there is nothing we can offer you that you will accept. And God, we, we come to you in faith, trusting that you will forgive, trusting that you have accomplished everything necessary on the cross through the shedding of your blood and the offering of your body. And today as we come to the Lord's table, we ask that you would make that a blessing as well. That would be about worshiping you, being thankful for you, proclaiming your death every time we partake until you return. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'll give some instruction of how we're going to do this. We, we've battled about, like, not battled, we've wondered how to accomplish this with you know, physical distancing and being you know, germ-free. We've got uh, three of our elders up front. We have, they have gloves on, and uh, we have physically distanced our, our communion cups uh, in the trays here so uh, you don't have to reach in and grab a bunch of other ones. Here's what I'd ask uh, for you that are, that are here. And obviously, at home, you're doing what you want. But for you that are here, the, the elders will walk in front of the pew in front of you. That's why we took the tape down and put signs there. And they'll put the, the tray across the pew. If you would keep one hand to yourself, so you don't have to touch the tray, just keep one hand down and grab the double cup that you is right in front of you and, and hold on to that. Uh, in our church, we, we uh, all let uh, everyone be served and then we partake uh, as a family together. And what I would tell you is this, that this is a time we have to search our heart. We have to yield our heart and, and surrender and, and humble ourselves before God so that we can see, is there some, some way I'm coming to the Lord's table that I'm not prepared to do this? that I have some unforgiveness in my heart or bitterness or resentment towards somebody? Is, something, is there sin in my life that I need to confess right now? Whatever it might be, get, get that right with Jesus because either it's pride saying, I'm, I'm squared away, I'm totally good to go, let me do this, or it's, it's that guilt and shame that is coming from a root of pride saying, I'm still pretty bad, I'm, I, I, I'll never be good enough for, for him. Right? That, those are issues that we, that we need to take care of right now. We need to repent of and turn away. We come to the Lord's table because he accomplished everything and we came to our senses and turned in faith to him. Amen? So maybe you're not there. Maybe you're visiting today and you're, you're like, I, I don't think I'm ready to receive the Lord's Supper. Or, or maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you haven't ever put your trust and faith in Christ. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I, I don't think so here. Just, just pass it on. You, it's okay to, to pass on the Lord's Supper. There's no shame in that either. We, we are here to observe if, uh, if you need to observe. And, and if you're partaking, it's obviously a special time to partake. So uh, we'll do that here in just a minute. You guys, why don't you come on up? All right, so we've been served our elements. We have uh, the two cups. Hopefully you've twisted that out okay. We're going to start with our, our bread. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from what Paul has written here. For I receive what the Lord... Uh, had passed on, and I also pass on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we are so grateful for your sacrifice, that you offered yourself, your body, 
for us. You were beaten, you were bruised, you were spit upon, a crown of thorns was placed on your head, you were whipped with a cat of nine tails. You were a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, and we are so grateful for the sacrifice you made day in and day out with so many days of trouble on our behalf. We honor you, we thank you, and pray in Jesus' name, amen. We take the cup. It says, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are so grateful again for your sacrifice and God that you shed your blood. And we know, Lord, as Scripture has said, there's, there cannot be the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So, Father, thank you for the sacrifice offering that you made. You became our offering. You, you died the death that we deserved. You paid the debt that we should have paid. And you've offered us, through faith in Christ, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for the day you've given us to worship you, to look to your word, and God, to rejoice in your salvation. Father, I pray that it is a time of rejoicing, that we would seek to love and honor you above everything else. Father, as we end in worship now, as we end in praise to you, may that be our heart's desire to make much of Christ and turn our affections from whatever they were on, solely on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.